everybody. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. Hi. Hi. I'm Carrie. I'm Jack. I'm Dean. What you got for us, Dean? This is a part two. Part two. Carrie says with a question mark. Yes, part two of fun with animals, which we talk about how humans have fun with animals by using them for things. Hmm. Specifically tool purposes. Yes. We're going to continue that with some other stories here today. Is this the final part? This is the final part. This is... Going to be some even more, I, I, yeah, I'm going to argue more interesting ones, actually, okay. than we talked oh, about in part okay. one. Since you've already listened to part one, there's sunk costs, so you might as well keep listening. But <laughs> these are pretty good. I hope they're not disturbing. Yeah. No, well, no. Don't make me sad. No, remember, try, I said last time, and I, I thought I, I followed through. I didn't yes, you focus did. on terrible, horrible things yep. at all. That that holds true for this one as well. Good job, Dean. So let's start out by talking about an animal I think we all know and love, which is, of course, the Energizer Bunny. Oh, okay. Not a real animal, I admit. Yeah. A, a puppet or something like that, I guess. Is that pink it's rabbit, not a right? Puppet. Wasn't it? I'm pretty what sure it's it? just a, like an animation. Yeah. Just like a that cartoon. Was just an animation. I thought it was a. No, they showed, they had it, you know. Uh, maybe in well, some commercials, but not the ones I've seen. Uh, yeah. An action know. figure. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Animatronic. Pink rabbit, dark shades, never stops, implicitly demonstrated how awesome Energizer batteries are. Perhaps they should have used an Energizer froggy. Instead, less discuss. So, as you know, living animals are animated by electric signals, right? Everything we do is is when we move an arm, we are using electric signals to make that communication, make that happen, right? Sure. So, naturally, the bodies of living things are coursing with electrical energy. Correct. Yep. That's how sharks do it. Sure. Well, everything does. Everything moves. No, I mean, that's how they hunt. Okay. By sensing that. We're not talking hunting. We're talking movement here. And uh, that's one of the ways that people think, you know, psychic phenomena like like psychokinesis. They think, oh, somehow we're projecting that electric power out of our bodies and that makes the spoon bend or whatever. Yeah. Okay. That's how that works. Magic. (laughs) This means, though, effectively, that animals are theoretically bio batteries. Mm-hmm. Living things can power non-living things. And so you have Neo waking up in the Matrix to find he's been hooked up to a vast power grid by sentient machines, along with millions of other, other fellow human beings, which essentially has turned humankind into a massive power grid, right? Is that the what the Matrix is about? Pretty much. Never seen it. Carrie, obviously not a fan. Never Apparently, seen it. Yeah, that's when he has the big thing... And he's covered with goo, and he has been unconsciously living in a, a his entire life in a shitty New York City apartment as a computer hacker, I think, right? Which brings I don't up Matrix guys, writers, Wachowskis. Can't you just make everyone living in a Matrix where they're like royalty or billionaires, right? They're they're all fake imaginary lives. Why make them have a kind of a you know? A somewhat shitty life. Everybody should be living great in this fake world. I never. I think they wanted to make it realistic. I suppose, but so you didn't know anything was going on. Yeah. Okay. I see. But make everybody a little bit. I don't know. Remember his apartment? It was crap. Anyway, I don't know. Lily and Lana, email us. They did give him the insanely cool black long duster kind of thing, though. That I'll give him that. Is this about the Matrix or the frogs? It's about the Matrix (laughs) and the frogs. Why can't it be both? It's about the blue pill and the red pill. Maybe you should take the blue pill. I'd rather take neither of them. Okay. 
It's the red pill. It's the, which is the good one? The red pill. Well, which one? What do you mean by good? Well, escape the matrix. Red pill. Red pill. Because okay. that's what all the idiots on the alt right they yes. say. I've been red pilled because mm. I'm awake. Yeah, which is the opposite of the truth. And actually, is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they those people really didn't get the movie anyway. Nope. And I'm, the creators hate you. And yes, I'm never going to watch it now. Well, come on. No, oh, no, 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 no. Don't let them ruin it. No, I, it's not my kind of movie. Well, that's true. Neo wins. So back to our story. <laughs> this power potential was noticed as early as the 18th century, the power of wow. things. Anatomists witnessed twitching movements in the muscles of bodies of recently dead things when they cut them or poke them or something like that, right? So they didn't know what that was. But they knew there's something here. This, you know, is this thing's dead. It's been dead, but I can just touch here and it, and it, and it yeah. moves. There's, there's but something didn't, going on. We didn't have electricity yet, correct? We were, no, we, we were starting to understand it. This yeah. Is, this is, say, late 1700s, let's okay. say. Okay. In seventeen eighty, as a matter of fact, Luigi Galvani, the great Italian pioneer of electrical research, was dissecting a frog hanging from copper hooks. And he noticed that whenever he touched the sciatic nerve, with his metal scalpel, the frog's leg would twitch. So he got to thinking, because huh. he's working with electricity, why he was, I guess the frog was like a sidelight. But he theorized that this reaction was caused by an electrical fluid surging between the organs of the animal, and that this fluid lasted for some time after his death. Now, he's not perfectly correct there, obviously, yeah. but he's getting there. Right? For back in the day? Yeah. He's he, on the right track. If there was some kind of, like... Physical fluid. It's not, as right. we know, but... It's just electrons, yeah. but, you know... But he was he was starting to think about it. It makes sense. It's a wet, dead frog. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. not so fast, Luigi, said the other famed Italian electrical pioneer, <laughs> Alessandro Volta. Uh, I was hoping it was Mario. Wow. No, it was not Mario from <laughs> Nintendo, no. He, of course, by the way... Volta. Volta gave us the word Volt. Yeah. And Galvani. And Galvani gave us the word Galvanic, Galvanic response. response. Yeah. yeah. Bolton. I, I caught on to that before you, you all right, decided. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> way more up on her Italian early electrical pioneers than yeah. she is on the Matrix. You better That's physics good. it up. That's good, Kara. Volta thought maybe that frog twitch was not caused by an electrified fluid, but was a sign of an invisible electrical force moving between two metals. Now we're on to something. Yeah, In this closer. case, yeah. the iron scap- scalpel and the copper hooks. Remember that? Uh-huh. Yeah, so and also, by the way, they had a static electric machine of some sort next to the frog that Galvani had prodded. So Volta, I, I guess, uh, theorized that was the power source for this yeah. electrical field between the copper and uh-huh. the iron of the scalpel and the hooks. He's right. Yeah, he was. He was. He was spot on. Volta said that quote. All these experiments do not prove conclusively that animal electricity exists since the organs remain passive, whereas metals are always active. So he's going to be wrong in a second here. The flow of electricity was between the two metals, he argued, had nothing to do with the frog. Uh, okay. And That's we'll find out in a minute that it was actually both. Yeah. Yeah. So the battle, by the way, grew intense. Is it the, just the metal, <laughs> just electricity? Is it, is it the animal? Love it. Is it some kind of a fluid, again, as Galvani thought? Science feuds. It was a big feud. It sparked this rivalry between scientific camps and between the two universities that employed these guys. So Volta was at University of Pavia and Galvani was at University of Bologna. And that's um, how you say it. Is it Bologna? Bologna. Uh, Bologna. Sorry. God. I'm oh. saving you from the Italian wrath, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Uh, okay. I imagine there were some like hijinks, like they TP'd the 
uh, dean's office or something like that because they got it got pretty serious though. Like, are are they stole the bronze panther from Pavia because Pavia panthers panthers obviously, and they took it back to the campus of Bologna, and then they had like the I want to say Bologna buffalo like hump it or something like that is what I mean hygiene's carry sure it's colleges back in seventeen eighties and nineties Italy this got weird okay. <laughs> Dude, Dad's been watching too much Brady Bunch. Yeah. Well, it ended with a freshman being hazed and tragedy struck, and then they they stopped this kind of nonsense between these two schools. I'm Don't making ask all of this John Hayes. Yes, yeah. Okay. Carrie's looking like, what the fuck is that? Are you? No, I'm not. Serious. So again, back to our story. The two sides argued until 1799 when Volta unveiled his voltaic pile. Now he chose the name. So pile? that's on him. P I L E. Yes. Okay. Mercifully, they also called it something else. The electric battery. Oh. oh. It was alternating copper and zinc discs mm-hmm. set in a weak acid, separating the metals, and that produced an electric current. It is the Bitch. basic concept between batteries yeah. to this day. Oh, wow. I know it with all familiarity in my chemistry class right now. So Volta invented a battery with no frog. So he said, I win. It's nothing to do with frogs. It's power and metal and that kind of thing, right? Eh. Yeah. I don't know about all that Volta, but you're right about a lot. So he didn't. Yeah, he's right about a lot. He he was, but he he was dissing animals at this point. He probably shouldn't have been, but he was became a celebrity with this. I mean, yeah, Napoleon Napoleon Bonaparte was like soups impressed with his voltaic pile, his battery, and asked him to come to Paris and demonstrate for him personally. So Volta naturally, with the dictator of the world, said, "Sure, I'll be right there." <laughs> yeah. Nap. So. Volta went to Paris, impressed the hell out of Napoleon with his battery, and Napoleon proclaimed Volta a count and knighted him and then made him a senator from the Kingdom of Lombardy. Wow. The kingdom that Napoleon had made up himself. Oh. So still, I mean, it was yeah. a real thing, but he just... It, yeah. So, uh, boom, he, he was a big star. He eventually died in Como, by the way, I'm a, presumably in George Clooney's mansion, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm assuming. In a sense, though, Galvani and Volta were kind of both right because you don't need an animal to make this electricity, like Galvani kind of thought, but animals are a source of electrical energy. Yeah. And this became kind of a thing. In 1845, another Italian electrical researcher, (laughs) Carlo Matucci, the Italians are big on electricity. I mean, physics. Yeah. Carlo Matucci set about making a battery made from animals, or really animal parts. Like Galvani, he liked frogs. Frogs are easy to handle. Oh. They're plentiful. So a lot, of frogs, a lot of frogs died for the cause of electricity. And now they're dying because of climate change. Amphibians. we got to save the frogs. Mm-hmm. We should. Huh. At first, though, instead of using frogs to generate electricity, he used them to actually detect electricity. So he would skin a frog. Oh, God. Take his leg, take, so he took a skinned frog's leg. He called it a frog's legs galvanoscope. He would, um, and, and it, this, this device had been around for a little while, something like it, but he improved upon it. Essentially, he put the frog leg in like a glass tube or something like that, and ba- basically, if it was in the presence of, of an electrical field, it would twitch. So there's oh. a way to detect, yes, there is an electrical field here. Yeah, but I feel like there are so many easier ways to do that. <laughs> Not back then, there wasn't. They didn't have little whatever well, you no, use after now. After the advent of Galva- uh, Volta's research. <laughs> well, okay. That would have helped a lot. He was able to find electrical currents. So, okay. And, by the way, he was able also to judge which direction it went in. So it's a pretty oh, big deal at the time. That is. Okay. Yeah, but you could, al- I mean, you could also just do that via chemistry. 
don't tell them that. These are Italian pioneers in the field. I think Volta would have so, known that. Um, Maybe. Matucci I don't know. Was good. Matucci, though, wasn't done yet. He also yeah, built a frog nice. battery. He would use a row of frog thighs, kind of like what Volta used for, for his yeah. pile, kind of. This, instead of metal disc, he had frog thighs, though. The cut thighs were pushed into each other uh, over like a wooden stick with cups of water at either end, and that formed like the battery terminals. Yeah. And he would cut the thighs and he'd slide them one like one inside the other so there was like contact. And from the inside to the outside, I guess, I guess they thought that animals' electrical field flowed from inside to outside. It doesn't necessarily, but that was the idea at the time. The cut thighs were actually really good at, at, General electricity, because again, unknown to Matucci, but we find out later, the act of cutting actually really intensifies the electrical field. That's it, it you know, that kind of trauma to something intensifies electrical current. It's called, quote, injury potential. By the huh. Way. But so even after the frog is dead, yeah. they're still residual. Yeah. Huh. For, that's for, inter- for a while. That's the most interesting part of the whole thing to <laughs> me. Is it? Yeah. I seen, mean, yeah. Have you seen Frankenstein, Carrie? What? Yeah. Frankenstein, uh, Mary Shelley was very much inspired by Volta's oh. stuff oh, in the late okay. 1700s. I, have, I don't know. What part of Frankenstein does that have to do? They use electricity to bring it to life. Yeah. Oh, that part. They use storm and they use lightning. Yes. Oh. Yeah, as you recall. Yeah. Smart Mary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was, it was like cutting edge stuff, by the way. She, when she, cause remember, she wrote that in really, yeah. really 1800s. She's good. She's good. She was on the, on Isn't the edge. Isn't it considered the very first science fiction novel ever? Yeah. Largely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Life. Nice. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Matucci, by the way, didn't invent this. It was called a frog pile, and, he, and someone else had invented it. But he sort of improved the design, and he demonstrated that the <laughs> current was created by the frog's muscles and nerves, not mm-hmm. just the electric of the two Thingies. metals, the two pieces of metals. It was the actual the body. It was organic. Yeah, because did he? It didn't sound like there was any metal involved. It didn't have to be water and just froggy yeah. legs yeah. and some board. He was a smart dude. Yeah, it's not a bit. Barbaric, a little bit, yes, because he cut open. Uh, he cut a lot yeah, of frogs. frogs. Yeah, he's using a lot of. Fro- I mean, you see it. It's like little. It's like a a, a pile of frog thighs, and they're not nice. very big. So yeah, you know, I'm guessing you don't need to exclude the rest know. of the frog. No, the well, I'm sure they ate the rest. This is, you know, I mean, it's delicious. Doubt it. Maybe not. No, don't they only eat the legs? I don't know. A and frog? is that even a thing in Italy? I thought that was more of a France type uh, deal. They probably ate it too. I'll I don't bet know. they did. I don't know. Blech. But English, also unnecessary, Matucci. The famous English scientist Michael Faraday, he wrote a paper about Matucci's successes and made him kind of a little mini celebrity at the time, and which is why we used the word Matucci for, I'm kidding, he didn't get a word. Yeah. Volton Galvano, yeah. not Matucci. Poor guy. I mean, he didn't really invent anything no. or discover well, anything. Well, still, come on, give him a, somebody give him a word. I will not. Maybe he's famous in Italy. Maybe so. Maybe so. But you don't just have to use frog's legs, by the way, to not create electricity. He um, are computer hackers in the future. You don't have to, you can use, oh. you can also use any, almost anything really. A, another Italian, yet another Italian, seriously, named Giovanni Aldini. He used the head of a freshly killed ox to show, again, there was an electrical current between, in this case, he did it between the tongue and the ear. Ew. And by the, by the way, also he, he, ironically, he used a frog galvanoscope to test and identify <laughs> the electric current. So he's using animals Hi. on animals here. I hope the ox died for another reason and he Girl, just got the no. head. Um, just tell me. Let me have this one. Okay, you, no. you know what? True. Thanks. True. I won't. Later on, he used multiple ox heads and he created an even stronger current. So he's a good guy. You like him. Matucci, 
Also went beyond, beyond frog legs. He used things like eels. He used well, pigeons. And he also used rabbits, just like the end of Treasure Bunny. Hmm. He proved that the reach of the animal rights crowd was minimal at this time in the 1800s because he used live pigeons. He oh, would cut no. the, uh, like a hole in their breast in two pigeons and connect them at the wounds. Okay, I mean, this is that. That's sorry. Okay. These motherfuckers are yeah. barbaric. They had no consideration for any. Yeah, well. Oh. So anyway, that's it with using animals to make electricity. I'll, I'll stop at the pigeons being alive, breast to breast. Yeah, that's terrible. I believe, though, that was the inspiration for the movie Human Centipede, though. I well, think. I could no, be wrong about okay. that. Girl. We move on to, well, what creature out there is even worse than leaches? Carrie, you know what? one. Because I know you personally hate this creature that Those I'm going to talk skaters? about next. Something you hate. Snails. Snails. Bitch. So this one, Carrie, <laughs> there this is one's for you. No okay? Way. I will not allow the snail slander. <laughs> Carrie <Ew>. hates snails. <laughs> That's the sound of hate. It's just a thing. I have a thing. Oh, I know. Are you mad at them because they can't predict the weather like leeches can? Is that why? Oh, here we go. No. Well, I maybe they it. can't. But you know what they can do? Help us communicate. I'll explain how. We bring you the, I'm going to mispronounce it, Pazalalinic. Sympathetic compass. It was also known as the snail telegraph. <laughs> this was, it was actually more about kind of the supernatural than it was science, but it's still interesting. It was based on the sound scientific belief that snails create a permanent telepathic link with one another when they are mated. So they mate, I mean, it's just like humans, and then forever they have a telepathic link with one another. Wait. Which is fine. It's not true. It's not a real thing, Carrie. That's what these people thought. Okay. Not a real thing. Carrie's going, wait a second. Their love darts (laughs) act as antenna. In the Uh. middle of the 19th century, a French occultist named Jacques Toussaint Benoit made this exact claim about sex crazed snails. He said that, and by by the way, he also had a colleague who's described as an American, but his name is Biat Chrétien which doesn't sound super American. It sounds pretty French, but maybe he was a, a, a French guy in America. But sure. That was his kind of co-experiment here, I guess. They believe that an invisible thread formed between the, those randy mollusks and it allowed, quote, sympathetic communication, end quote, between them, sort of like an electric current. It's the mid-1800s, so that electric current was, was by this time fairly well known. You remember from the frogs. Only this wire that he talked about was not a real wire, of course. It was... Non, you know, not corporeal and it was invisible. It was, they, they really believed it was some kind of a telepathic link. Benoit thought this link did not diminish at all over distance. At so, all. Which was huge because that meant that two mated snails right. could communicate over theoretically thousands of miles. Which I feel like there's a physics law about that. Don't bother Benoit. <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's onto something here. And that's why our snails going to get a thousand miles apart. By we us. take them. Carrie's <laughs> 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 thinking, oh my God, it's going to take so long for yes. them to crawl that far. And but how do we nature, know where they're actually going? It wouldn't happen. That is correct. Train snails? I don't think so. So he thought, okay, this can make a telegraph, you know, much more distance and, and much more reliable than the real telegraph, which we had by now, or was, was early on because it needed real wires and they could cut, be broke, whatever. These snails didn't have anything real. You couldn't cut their telepathic link ever. And they would go as far as you wanted. Is genius. This is brilliance. You have to believe it. He believed <laughs> that if you touch one snail, 
you would get a reaction from his mated snail no matter how far apart they were. He called this reaction a, quote, escargotic commotion. Oh, Lord. Which, by the way, was also a great French 1980s hairband. They were, do you remember that? <laughs> Went to, did they open? No. So he was building on some pretty sound science, as you can probably guess. Others before him had searched for some form of sympathetic communication. This was a, the thing. They really thought this was, this was real. Again, that's kind of like non-physical communication based on some shared connection. Think about that. There was a whole field of this at this time. So he was sort of just part of that field. For instance, a guy named William O'Shaughnessy, who's a 19th century Irish doctor. He worked with human skin oh God. in an attempt to transmit wireless messages. He did this like in 1830s, oh 1839. Goodness. He, wonder how he got that skin, William. You don't want to know. He was ahead of his time, though, in some ways. For instance, he was an early proponent of cannabis being used for medicinal reasons. Work. Back on your side, William. Yeah. <laughs> you got me on your side again. Okay. The skin, though, because build, building on this whole skin thing, some people would actually cut pieces from their arms and trade them with someone else. So you'd cut out a chunk of your arm. <gasps> your buddy would cut out a chunk of his arm. You would swap them. And oh some people my. tried to tattoo the alphabet my on God. each piece of flesh. Then they'd swap them, and then they'd tap the tattooed letters oh, good. in an attempt to send messages back and forth to the person with Ugh. your arm chunk with an alphabet on it. So oh, I feel A, I feel B. Yeah, that that's kind of uh, I feel, I feel F, F, you, F. You don't tell me to fuck off. Yep. So yeah, that was a thing that <laughs> happened. That oh my god! <laughs> Once your fucking skin Ouija board fucking <laughs> rejects and falls off, you're going to be having Imagine a bad how, time. This is a time when infections kill people. Yeah, that was just there's some crazy mofos. That hurt my soul because it would have to be a pretty sizable chunk. Yeah, Yeah. for the entire alphabet. Yeah, Yeah. that's. I don't know how small tattoo guns they had back then. (laughs) Uh, That's holy shit. That's great news. Y'all are crazy. Gotta work in something. Benoit took inspiration from this kind of kind of human skin telegraph. And he ran with it. He he got his found his way eventually to snails. So he and his partner Biachretian, they needed money to develop their brainchild of the snail telegraph, right? And so that's where a name of guy snail named graph. Triot came in. I don't have a first name, by the way. Triot ran a, or maybe he went by one name. Maybe He's anonymous. He He's a sure. French sure. Yep. Triot ran a gymnasium in Paris. Oh. I think he invented the do you even lift bitmoji, I think, but I'm not. No, it was, it was a it was a gym. It was an actual a fitness center. I got to go. <laughs> I, I think he did anyway. Benoit convinced Biot that he was on to something with these snail telegraphs. These, you know, put two insatiable snails far apart and you can communicate. He So he convinced Biot to let him live the gym for free, feed him, you know, like, room, like free room and board. And give him, even give him like a little stipend to live while he was perfecting this snail telegraph. And he fine-tuned it. He's basically a financial backer through, you know, you can live here. You need, I'll give you all the croissants you need. And um, you can also, by the way, he also, critically, he said, Benoit said, I'm going to need wood to build this contraption. And Biaz said, that's no problem. I got a wood pile right outside the gym. Take what you need. So <laughs> oh it was a great God. deal. This is weird. The snail telegraph, however, the apparatus sort of grew in size and it became more and more complex as Benoit was working on it. 
And so he needed, needed more and more materials. It was also taking a lot longer than Triot thought it was going to take. So finally he said, you know what? After about a year, oh, a year of this, Triot said, okay, it's put up our shut up time. Show me the snail telegraph or you yeah, know, no more get out. croissant and wood yeah. for you. Good Lord. He wanted to see a working model ASAP. Benoit said, you know what? I'm ready. Conveniently. Yeah. Yeah. He presented to Triot an apparatus that included 10-foot wooden beams perched on like a scaffolding, right? On the wooden beams, he placed zinc bowls. So bowls made out of zinc, he'd place them on the wooden beams. The bowls, those zinc bowls were lined with cloth that had been soaked in copper sulfate, like a solution of copper sulfate. A line of copper held the cloth in place inside the bowl. And he had 24 of these basins. Each of the 24 bowls was associated with a letter in the alphabet. I don't know if they lost Q and Z or something like that. They had 24. So everything sounds legit so far. I'm assuming you agree. I mean, that sounds sure. It sounds like science to me. There's Uh, copper, there's sulfate, there's copper, copper, sulfate, and zinc. There you go. See? Okay. Then in the bottom of each zinc bowl, Benoit dropped a snail. 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 To make sure the 24 snails did not slowly crawl to safety, Benoit. Glue them into place. Oh, oh that's terrible. In copper sulfate? In copper sulfate. <laughs> in a, oh, my God. <laughs> they're alive because they had to, had to be alive. Uh, Remember, they're, they're telepathically yeah. communicating. For the first five minutes, maybe that <laughs> shit would kill the fuck out of those little snails. I, don't, I mean, it was, wait, it was copper sulfate. Soaked just in the soaked. cloth. Yeah, it was, I don't think oh. it was like a, a bowl of copper liquid. sulfate. Yeah. Okay. The cloth had been soaked in copper sulfate okay still <laughs> solution too so i don't know if it, how you know much copper sulfate's in there i don't know i'm I, not 100 percent sure what copper sulfate is in <laughs> fact i'm zero percent sure what copper sulfate is it's just <laughs> copper plus sulfuric acid oh well down oh. tell me obviously that makes perfect sense so still liking this the glue no no okay. i think it's a little bit cruel even yeah, to a sicky dicky is it cruelly? snail sicky dicky snail did you say icky. Sick- oh icky okay <laughs> i heard that as well sicky dicky snail is what we heard carrie so we're pretty sure roll the tape no somewhere i i don't kill snails no you don't you yeah just, you don't put the poison in i appreciate I don't. that I'm terrified of them because we have dogs <laughs> but i don't like them that's all okay <laughs> So he had this apparatus, right? Somewhere else, you know, in, in the test area, Benoit put a second apparatus, identical. The wooden beams, the zinc bowls, the snails, etc. right? Like paired? Yeah. Made exactly, in pairs? Exactly. Like two, like two stations. Think of two stations that are sure. going to now communicate with one another. The second set of snails would have had, though, to have done the nasty with the first Correct. set of yes. snails in their corresponding letter, right? How do you control it? Well, that was ba- I mean, basically, that yeah. means Benoit would have had to have mate, mated snail yeah. pairs, right? Which you kind of just leave them, separate them, but, isolate the two But you have pairs. to keep them separate. Yeah. And then yeah. once you Separated. see these two mated, make, mating, you've got to then put them, like, I don't know, in a, in a bottle marked A and the other one in the other bottle marked A, or, or both in the same A bottle, B bottle, C bottle, et cetera, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know how you would be able to determine that they've mated, because snail mating, it includes, like, a teeny tiny little, like, dart that they shoot Ooh. at each other. Really? That gets then absorbed into the other one's body. Well, so he it did it. Like, at least he said he did. He said he was mating yeah. these snails, got yeah. him 24 pairs of them. I, I don't even know how you sex snails, how you tell their gender. They're hermaphrodites. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. 
Well, if he failed at his snail telegraph, he sure as hell had a good job waiting for him in snail breeding. Heliciculture. That's what it's called. It's not a word. Yes, it is. You're you're literally making words up. Heliciculture. Yeah, that's a fake. Helix culture. There you go. Is what? We're not. Snail breeding. Snail breeding. That's a (laughs) fake. It's frightening. It's an ancient, oh, sure, ancient sure. practice. I'm, I'm literally not kidding. Look it up. No, I 100% believe you, but I'm baffled at the knowledge you have. <laughs> I know things. Benoit was a helicoculturist. Helicoculturist. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, they'd use the be. snail mucin for food. He had to be. Sure, sure. He knew what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So now the fun part. To transmit a message, an operator at one of the apparatuses simply touched the snail associated with the letter that the operator wanted to transmit. The reaction of the snail sent the message to his snail mate, and the operator at the second apparatus would receive the message one telepathically transmitted letter at a time. So you'd push the B snail, and the, the other, second apparatus, you go, oh, the B snail just reacted, boop, right down B. Okay. What, what, it, what counts as a reaction? Boom. Gary, ah, don't question it. And how do you Dora, absolutely Maraca. confirm that the reaction was because you touched the snail yeah. in the other end and not because the yeah. snail wants to get out of the zinc sulfate glue bowl? You need to stop questioning <laughs> the science of a French occultist in the mid-19th century. I'm not what I'm saying. questioning right. it. I'm simply trying to understand okay. how it works. Well, that's they the would same see a reaction and they just knew. You, you got to okay. feel for it eventually. Yeah. It's like... Uh, polygraphy. You just have a feel for it. Telepathic. Mm-hmm. It's telepathic <laughs> So Benoit knew it was time for a trial run. The Obviously, his, his <laughs> poisson supplier said so. So he had Triot and a journalist friend of his from La Presse named Jules Alish come to the gymnasium. And Benoit had, I guess, a couple of assistants there. And he had assistants at the two apparatuses. He, he that would be doing the transmitting and the receiving and he set them some distance apart inside the gymnasium i'm guessing like a basketball court which didn't exist yet so tra and elise stood at one station and benoit himself stood at another we'll see in a minute he's a he was a rover as triot or at least presumably i don't know whispered letters into the operator's ear on one side and and that operator then you know pushed the abc snails benoit on the other side and his assistant there would receive the letter and and then Benoit would shout out the letter, you know, F. And that way they'd spell out the message. Unfortunately, there were some issues. The word gymnase came out, gymowit. <laughs> Lumiere, which I, it's French for light, mm-hmm. came out, lamhir. Lamhir. I mean, before you think, wait well, a second. I mean, it's that's not cr- that bad, yeah. right? That's yeah. They got the first part of both those words. Yeah. You, you should know, though, that Benoit would continuously walk back and forth between the two stations. Oh, he claimed okay. he, had to, he had to supervise both assistants to make sure they were doing the job. Could he have been doing a little bit of eavesdropping? Yeah. It's entirely possible. It's like they're doing their best to make this <laughs> not scientific. Well, he also, by the way, insisted in that they weren't that far apart. Nothing I read said how far apart they were, but he refused to have anything put up like a wooden app, like a wall or something like that. Or even um, somebody said, well, let's just put up a curtain or something. Because no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Logic, it, right? Nothing yeah. whatsoever. Was, so they were in com- direct communication with one another, line of sight. And again, he was walking yeah. back and forth. I love it. He, he should have been no problem. They should have been in a different room because he had earlier claimed that he had used a snail just a little while before that to communicate with Biat Chrétien, his partner. Biat Chrétien was in America. He had gone back to the United States. And he said, yeah, no. 
No, we've been in touch. Yeah. Through the snail the helicopter. Snail. But you couldn't put a curtain in front of it in the same gymnasium. Yeah. The two so. people who invented it and are trying to profit off of this <laughs> yeah. assure us that it works. I know. We've been in touch with it for all these months. So Triot, though, to his credit, was pissed. He put in these bills and he said, you are full of shit. Yeah. I would have killed him right this then and there. This is not good. He thought he'd been hoaxed. Jacques Alice, the uh, journalist, though, said, you know what? I think this guy's on to something. That was pretty damn impressive. Listen. <laughs> he was. He wrote a positive article in La Presse wow. at the end of October and, you know, you know, became, I wouldn't say a mini celebrity, but he, he reacted very positively and thought this is, there's something here. This is legit. Was he in he, on it? He got fooled. Doesn't look like it. No, I don't think he was. At least he dreamed up some viable uses for this new invention. So he was thinking, God, we can use this. Like, for instance, it could be used. Okay, I'm not kidding. Women could wear one of these devices <gasps> on a stylish watch waist chain. What? I, I have no idea how that would work. What? At least says, okay, look. Um, some, I guess some versions of the apparatus used snails on a board. So they weren't in these bowls in a yeah. board. You know, like a, like a think of a wooden board with A B C D E F G etc on it, and you had a snail on each, and you could communicate with one another. How that would turn into a waist chain? No, no. Yeah. So you you hang a board from your waist chain with a bunch of twenty four snails glued to the alphabet on the board and communicate with your friends. Oh my god, is what you're saying. But then, how do you receive it? Like, how do you know that you're getting a message? You just have to be, happen to be looking at your waist chain board, like, oh yeah. Look, Hold on. Hold on a sec. I need to reply on my snail. <laughs> what? I, I don't know how it worked, but I'm going to say it's still better than Google Glasses. I stand uh, by that. I'll no. give you that one. Yes, Karen. Trust me. I'll yeah. give you that. So, Triad. De- deep state surveillance tool. <laughs> <laughs> Triad, though, wasn't impressed like Elisa was, and he wanted hard proof. He said, okay, Benoit, you have one more chance. Show me something big. It had better be more accurate. And, you know, we'll, we'll have a little bit of control over the, the process. And Benoit said, no problem. I can do it. They set a date for the second demonstration. The date came. Benoit had disappeared. Uh-huh. Later, not long later, acquaintances said they saw Benoit wandering around the streets of Paris begging for food. I'm assuming oh, soft cheeses. He uh, croissants, and, he, and then he and probably croissants. He died. Like, give me your day old, your two day old croissants. I don't Edgar care. Give me your margarine. He died in uh, poverty just a couple years later. Wow. A completely broken man. Huh. So he just disappeared and hmm. didn't have any place to live. I remember he'd been living free from this guy. Right. Yeah. I wonder so. if he knew it was going to fail. And he was like, let me just. Oh, not for show sure. Up. No, he knew it was a complete bullshit. He had been eavesdropping on yeah. them. And that's why he was able to get a couple letters. They probably said he's probably like there for the, for the GYM, right? And they said, hey, hey, get your ass over there. So he had to just guess. And he guessed, <laughs> Jimmo it. I mean, so he was guessing yeah. wrong. Or you could say he was crushed by Big Telegraph, another victim. Yeah, of sure. I'm powerful sure. Powerful people. Yeah. He's like Tucker in his car and man in his dreams. Still to this day, <laughs> the uh, the French think of snails only as garden pests and entrees for very pompous fresh French restaurants. And uh, have you ever had escargot? No, yeah. really. Would you? Let's have some. With the reaction she gave <laughs> earlier, you think she's ever eaten one of those little uh, Absolutely never eaten. I couldn't either, and I think they're cute. The Snail Telegraph did have one last historic hurrah. It was during the uprising of the Paris Commune in 1871. That's when the leftist rebels in Paris became essentially a communist mini-state for a short time. The leftist, leftist rebels in Paris 
were holding out against the French army and they needed to pass messages to uh, their allies <laughs> outside beyond the barricades, right? Beyond the barricades. And so they, they didn't have a way to do that. So Jacques Alice, he's in the city at the time. He says, wait, I think I know a way. Oh, so he he was man. not, he really did buy. He really yeah. did think that was real. He was so he reminded the communists that like 20 years ago, this guy had built a snail ter- <laughs> telegraph. Let's do that and we'll, you know, be able It'll to take a year. And then- <laughs> Listen, not all leftists are that dumb. <laughs> he brought it to the head of the Barricades Commission, a guy named Marquis Rochefort, which seems a little weird. But and Mar- the Marquis said, you know what? This is a damn good idea. I like this. Sadly, though, they took it to the rest of the commune leadership, and they thought, that's a pretty stupid idea. Thank We're God. not going to do that. They rejected that idea along with others, such as dropping hammers on the French army from hot air balloons. <laughs> and a sickle. Come on now. That's a little too on the nose, guys. Uh, and they wanted to turn the city's zoo lions loose on the enemy soldiers. So we need to walk Ooh. them to the front line and then go attack them, not us. Yeah. And don't don't yeah. get shot. Like, bitch. Didn't, didn't make a ton of sense. <laughs> oh my God. These are I'm the assuming, communists. I'm assuming that the snails that Elise had to make his little snail te- telegraph there, they ate them. So sadly, they were eaten instead of being used to win the war, because I think it would have worked, uh, or not. Arguably, being eaten is a little less terrible. I'm assuming they. I don't know that for yeah. a fact. I can't verify but that. being glued to... Marginally. Copper sulfate-soaked mm-hmm. things. Or just yeah. a wooden um, board. Yeah. <laughs> Animals, though, can do more than just provide us with power, or predict the weather, mm-hmm. or have sex and send messages to one another. They can actually save lives. I'm going to now tell yeah. you about such a story. Duh. Flipper, the friendly dolphin from the yeah. 1960s American television series. I'm sure you know. He remember he used to routinely save kids in yeah, Florida, he right? Did. Didn't he? All and then the time. Lassie. He would like he like ram sharks from below, right? Uh-huh. I think. <laughs> or other times, I don't know. Let's he say he would just alert the dad. They need help. That, Somebody ee, needs help. Ee, mm-hmm. and yeah. Okay. And that made, what, what's wrong, Flipper? Is there trouble? Uh-huh. And there he'd go to, to save the kids. Uh, didn't he? Did he also get them rescued rescued from a, a deserted island? No, you know what? That's Gilligan's Island. Yeah, oh, they didn't other. get rescued. I don't think so. My bad. My bad. Sorry, Flipper. Flipper. The, oh, so dolphins can save lives. That's, that's kind of a thing. And and as we know, saving lives is where the military comes in. So <laughs> wait, that's comedy. Let me explain. <laughs> Tell another one. If you don't believe that, you've obviously never heard of naughty. N o t t y. Don't get naughty. Naughty was discovered by the U.S. Navy in 1960. And by discovered, I mean captured. Because Naughty was a Pacific white-sided dolphin. Oh, my little baby. And Naughty was being studied in an attempt to develop faster, more streamlined torpedoes. So yeah. these little fuckers can swim really, really fast. Yeah. Let's use that. Let's see how they're doing that to build faster torpedoes. That is, yeah, that's how you get better technology. Yeah. Nature and evolution, they're yep. good at it. Naval researchers soon discovered, though, that the dolphins that they were studying had an amazing sonar that gave them the ability to detect bombs and mines. Uh, so they would use that sonar not just to, you know, gather, be amazing fisher, z- fishers, but they used that sonar to detect metals and things like that. They found that out pretty quickly. Dolphins could instantly locate something metal at a pretty fair distance away, and they could tell if it was getting closer or going further away or stationary, and they could even detect the type of metal. How did they determine what a dolphin could detect? They were able to, I don't know, but they did. (laughs) Probably by controlled testing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. dolphins are incredibly trainable. They're very, very smart. So they train, were able to train the dolphins to essentially sm- sniff out underwater mines. Huh. And they could do it better. They're far more accurate than the, you know, technology, the machines that the Navy yeah. had at the time to yeah. do this. Because they have better radar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They would go, boom, I know exactly what it is. They go right to it. They, they, so they knew where it was, how far away it was. And whether and again, it's a if, torpedo if it was moving, they know if, if it was moving right. toward them. That's cool. Yeah. It, they were pretty amazing. Dolphins, though, were not done there. The Navy trained these upbeat marine mammals to also spot enemy divers. So, and once spotted, the dolphins were trained to sneak up on the diver from behind and clamp a device on their air tank, often without them knowing. That was the idea. It was to be so quiet, go up behind the diver without them knowing. They're swimming one way. The, the dolphin goes behind them, boop, pops the little thing on the air tank, and then swims away without being seen by the diver. And what, that, what happens then is the device was attached to a buoy that would, boom, instantly inflate. And go up to the top of the water, and the people on the surface could, could tell, hey, them, bad yeah. guys are down there, Yeah, and here's where they are. We can see them moving, because <laughs> they have this buoy attached Oof. to their air tank wow. that we can now see at the surface. And also give them the bends. I don't think it probably, I think the idea was that it was on a long wire or something like that. So oh, I maybe see. swimming, whatever. Oh, they're still down there? Yeah, they're still down there. Oh, yeah. They're 100 okay. feet below, and, that, and the buoy's on top, showing that they're so down they there where they are. they don't even know that they're Presumably, spotted. they would not even know, yeah. I mean, if they spotted it, yeah, they they would cut, cut it. it off, but yeah. the idea was that they wouldn't even know they had this buoy on the surface. Well, that alone is pretty clever technology. If it, it very works, clever. yeah, did I'm it work? I, sure, let's say yes. That sounds right. a little far fetched. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it sounds it, it sounds like it relies on a bunch of variables. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it worked, and for that they got a pat in the head and a, and a fish. Oh, yeah, they need more yeah. than that. It's kind of like uh, today's minimum wage. Am I right, Gen Z? Huh? Am I? No, sorry. Ben, that does not hit coming from a no, fucking Gen Xer. Doesn't it? Doesn't at all. <laughs> um, sorry about that, Gen Z. I advocate a much higher minimum wage. So yes, mm-hmm. at least as late as 2003, dolphins were protecting Navy vessels in the invasion of Iraq by detecting like mines wow. and things like that. Even today, the like Navy that. has a variety of marine mammals in its service. They include dolphins, sea lions, and beluga whales. Oh, I love belugas. The hmm. Navy's uh, marine mammal program is based in San Diego, California. That's not surprising. Of course. The U.S. Navy The U.S. Navy has said it has never used dolphins or any marine mammal in any kind of offensive military capabilities <laughs> in any way, way, shape, or form. Duffel. There was a 1973 movie called Day of the Dolphin with George C. Scott. Any recollection, Carrie? Nope. I've, I've heard of it. What year? 1973. It involved smart dolphins. And they, he was like a dolphin researcher. He was doing it for some research center or whatever. He's teaching them language, something like that. And the bad guys were going to use those dolphins in a political assassination, like get oh. them to bomb the president or something like that. I, I never saw it. Arm them with lasers. But in real life, there's no evidence whatsoever of any like war dolphins roaming the seas. That's not a thing. They never did. Russia, though. I was going to say we can't send some to Russia. Well, Russia has also used dolphins for military purposes themselves. And they've even, not that long, just a few years ago, advertised in public media to buy dolphins. They wanted They wanted five dolphins, two females and three males, and they wanted them all with, quote, perfect teeth. No one knows exactly what they were going to do with them, but they were trying to buy dolphins. And they, the Russians have never promised to not use animals for war. The U.S. Yeah, the US well. military has promised not to do so. And, of course, the Russian military wouldn't face a lawsuit the way the Navy did in 1989 that forced the Navy to stop using dolphins in Puget Sound because people said it was cruel because the water was so cold. 
So yeah. we have the power of the law, and the Navy had to stop yeah. doing that. They're in Russia. Sometimes. They can do what they want. So whether or not they're using animals for war, we don't know. It hmm. would not shock me, I obviously. wish that extended to humans. That'd be great, too. Stop yeah. the fucking military from killing all the humans. What the fuck? <laughs> That's a bold statement. I mean, I agree with that, <laughs> but like priorities, y'all. Experts and former military dolphin trainers have said that, you know what? Dolphins would just, they wouldn't make good killing machines anyway. They aren't going to ram anyone with their head. Their head has all their sonar. Yeah. The yeah. thing flipper where they rammed sharks, that's nonsense. Yeah. Okay. They could. They'd bite the bitch. But, but they wouldn't do that because it, it could damage the, the most important thing in their body. Yeah. And also, they, their wow. teeth just are, are meant for fishing. They're not going to, they couldn't, I mean, they could do damage to human, but they couldn't just rip us up. They're no. not sharks. They might slap the shit out of you with their tail, though. <laughs> they, yeah. they could, they could, and they could ram you and cause a lot of damage for sure. Yeah, if they wanted to. But they're not going to bite you, and they're not they're not killing machines. One former trainer said, "Quote: When they were supposed to ram us with the guns, this is some kind of uh, training exercise they're doing. They either swam away or put their snouts on our shoulders Aww. very affectionately. Oh, they see? were the worst at taking orders. Is when they <laughs> trying to make them do something offensive, they just wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's like ah, oh, come on, man, just pet me. Give me Send a fish. Give me a fish. Give me a fish. Can I have a fish? Give me a fish. <laughs> so he said it'd just be a waste of money. There's no reason to do it. They, they, but the and That's and the Russians, cool. by the way, when they were trying to buy in their dolphins, they offered twenty five thousand bucks a piece. So it'd be a pretty expensive machine. Wow. So it's it's unlikely they're using dolphins for that too. They're probably using dolphins for the same thing we do. Yeah. In all likelihood. Yeah. You train it, and then it's useful for many, many years, sniffing out mines and things like that. So that is dolphin bomb detectors. Interesting. Now we move on to animals that are actually bombs. Angry birds? But, yes, as a matter of fact. How did you know? Well, I'm going to scrap this section and go to another one. So I'm passing <laughs> up on the angry birds section because I thought that was real. Rovio. So animals <laughs> like... Canaries and coal mines oh. and dolphin de- bomb detectors, they don't just save human lives like Siegfried and Roy's white tiger. They can also turn against us. Well, sure. I don't blame them. And this goes back a long way. I'm going to tell you a story. Before Vladimir Zelensky, there was another intrepid, inspired leader in Kiev. Kiev, like whatever it is. <laughs> We're going back <laughs> the to Ukrainian, nine. Ukrainian, it's oh, Kiev. Kiev. I'm what? just, just going to say Kiev and just, and just leave me alone. <laughs> In about 945, the Kievan Rus, it was basically a... a, a what, are you saying the, nine, the nine year 945? 945, okay. AD? Common Era. C-E. I know Domini. R-A-D. Choose your, whatever you join. Okay. It was, uh, the Kievan Rus was a, this kingdom, and it was led at the time by Igor of Kiev. Igor decided, I'm going to ride my army out to the west of his capital, and I'm I'm going to confront this tribe called the Drevelians because they were paying my dad, oh, I think his name is Oleg, a bunch of tribute. You know, it was very common. We pay you money, leave us alone. Yep. And they stopped paying it after he died. That's bullshit. I'm going to go out and make them pay that tribute back. So he took his army out there. He confronted them, and they said, you know what? Here's your tribute. We'll give you what you wanted. They caved. On the way home, though, Igor is looking at what he just got. He goes, you know what? This is bullshit. Hold on a sec. I'm going to go back and get me some more cash from those assholes. So Igor returned back to the Drevlands with just a few men and said, I'm going to shake you down again. And so they killed him. Good. Oof. And they killed him by tying him between two trees and tearing him apart vertically. Allegedly. Allegedly. I don't know. Bad mouth the Drevlians. 
So not good. Not a, if you go back, you know what? Bring the army is the lesson there, I think. Well, don't sure. just go back with like three dudes. It's good. Or maybe don't be a fucking bully. <laughs> that would help Jackson 21st century campus lessons for 10th century warfare I mean that's what it boils down to (laughs) does it not so Igor's dead enter Olga she is the great leader we're going to talk about she was Igor's wife and therefore smarter than him Mm -hmm. as we know although that's a low bar judging by Igor's level of intelligence she was named the regent of Kievan Rus since her son with Igor was three years old. <laughs> so she was regent. Hey, but I mean, man, she's, she's got, you know, 15 years in power or whatever. They decide he's an adult. I mean, two in common was 13. So yeah. it doesn't have to be. She was left to deal with the now emboldened Drevlians, though, on, 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 by herself. So, you know, they've killed him. They think these, you know, these kind of frat boy assholes then <laughs> sent word to her. And they said, hey, since we killed your husband... You have to marry our leader. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Who is, by the way, your husband's killer, and his name is Prince uh-huh. Mal. Prince M A L or Mal? I don't know. Huh. Prince Mal. Lame name. But Prince Mal said, okay, you have to marry Prince, Prince Mal. Mal sent 20 of his top guys on a boat down the Dnieper River to make this demand on Olga. Surprisingly, you might think Olga said, you know what? I'm intrigued. <laughs> she sent a response. It said, quote, your proposal is pleasing to me. Indeed, my husband cannot rise again from the dead, but I desire to honor you tomorrow in the presence of my people. So, you know what? I'm kind of liking this. You're in the river there waiting for a response. Here's my response. Come on over. Yeah, come on over, we'll dummy. So the Coming 20, to my territory <laughs> unarmed, okay? The 20 de- Drevlians <laughs> thought, you know what? All right, this chick knows her place. She's, she's going to marry mm-hmm. our guy. So she said... Look, I'll send some people for you tomorrow, and they'll fetch you back here to my court. We'll have a feast, right? And he, but she said, we were just like, you know what though? You need to act tough. You need to have a haughty arrogance about you to impress my people, right? So when they get there, you insist that they carry you back in your boat, that they pick up your boat and carry you in the boat back to my court, and we'll have a feast, and it's going to be on. I'm going to marry your prince. And that, that will show them by making them do that. They'll show them how badass you are. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they say, you know what? That sounds fucking sweet. All right. The ambassadors then do as they're told. The people get there. They say, carry us back in your boat. The people do. They pick them up though, and they carry them. They think this is awesome. It's like an honor guard kind of a thing. We love this. So they carry them all the way back to near the court where they promptly dump them into a trench they had built the, they had mm-hmm. dug the night before. And then they, Bury them alive. Oh, I thought it was going to be filled with spikes. <laughs> nope, they buried them slowly but surely. They can't get out. Olga was Damn. said to stand over them the entire time as shovelfuls of dark earth were splashed onto their screaming open mouths. And she asked if they, quote, found the honor to their taste. Oh, so shit. she was not someone you fucked with. Damn. No. She wasn't done. Gullible ass motherfucker. I know. <laughs> so she's not done and they're not done being gullible. She sent word back to the Drevelians that they should send their best men to her. So quote, that she might go to their prince with due honor, which made sense to them. The prince and his court, they had no idea what happened to those 20 people they sent earlier. It's like, did they get lost? Whatever. Well, here's another message from her says, you know what? I'm, again, I'm, in, I'm up for it. I want to marry you. 
So send a bunch of your men. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, this 20 guys. Send some, send some people and I'll come back with them. Wait, so the actual prince hadn't come yet? No. He, was oh, back. Okay. he sent those 20 ambassadors in the boat. Now okay. he sends more. And these are like the, she says, send your best, send your top yeah. notch Drevlians, your best of the best. So they do. And once there, Olga said, as I'm assuming as tactfully as she could, she said, you know what? Why don't you guys take a bath before you meet with me in my court? Yeah, I guess, put you know, your feet up. Little stinker. Up. So she said, you know what? She's just having fun because she could have done it the same way every She's time. Awesome, right? Carrie. Okay. Well, no, you can't keep doing the same trick over and yeah, over again. They'll you get wise. Variety, Carrie. Well, no. I, well, how are they going to hey. get wise? <sighs> you don't get complacent. Hey, don't question it. Don't I question mean, it, Carrie. She has built, war. instead of a trench this time, she's, she built this special bathhouse and said, that's, that's for you guys. Go in that bathhouse, clean up, and then we can talk. I think you can probably imagine what she did when they got into the bathhouse. I mean, she, I don't know. She seems creative. She bolted it and set it on fire. Oh, <laughs> shit. As you will. And she uh, um, had them, anybody trying to get out, she had them killed. She then followed it up by having a feast for the Drevlians. Oh. And she got them, oh, I'm not sure the details in this, but she got them really super drunk on mead and then she killed 5,000 of them. 5,000 of them? And she egged them. her soldiers to massacre every one of them. Wow. She egged them on shit. So now, and yeah. then she took the fight to the Drevlians. She took her army and besieged their 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 major city. It was um, is Koristan, which is now called Koristan. But the siege dragged on for a year. So this is when she had a brainstorm that will finally tie us into our topic. Yeah, I was <laughs> waiting for it. So she asked for a parlay, and the Drevlians said. Uh, the Drevlians were unsurprisingly a little suspicious. Oh, sure. So I would never trust her. She said, no, 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 no. You know what? I'm fine. My bloodthirst has been satiated with killing your ambassadors in the bathhouse and the uh, boat and also killing 5,000 of you. So, uh, look, I just want you to pay tribute. And here's my asking price. Three pigeons and three sparrows from each house in your city there. Okay? Send that to me. I don't know. Apparently, the Drevlings were bird keepers. Yeah, after, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure yeah. exactly why. sparrow was out to ass. So, you know, all your, every every house, and by house, she may have meant like noble people, whatever, but she wanted, she wanted three sparrows and three pigeons from all the, let's say, noble houses in the city. Send those to me, and we're good. That's all the tribute you need, and peace will reign across the land. The Drevlings were overjoyed. That's it? Yeah. Done. We'll do that. So they sent the birds to Olga, and the regent, Olga, then had her people attach pieces of sulfur to the birds in little, like, cloth sacks. And night fell, and the Kievans lit the bags of sulfur and released the birds. The birds naturally flew black, back to their homes, back to their nests, and they set Iskoristan on Bye. fire. A conflagration. It wiped out the city. A, chron a chronicle of the time says, quote, there was not a house that was not consumed, and it was impossible to extinguish the flames because all the houses caught fire at once, end quote. Yeah. So those brave little birds were perhaps the first animal weapon used in human history. Hmm. Damn. And, of course, Olga had her soldiers kill anybody fleeing from outside of the city. The rest of the city, she either sold into slavery or she left some to 
pay her tribute. She this took care of business. Sounds a little bit like a I'm story. I'm sure it's 100% bullshit. Yeah. It's probably some, I mean, she was a, a real person. Just logistically, yeah. I don't How do you have a face in the kill five thousand people? It doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. No, not that, not part. that part. The bird part. The pigeons and sulfur. Oh, the bird part is ridiculous. Yeah. They burn up and die. Exactly. They're never that's, that's absurd. No, it's nonsense, clearly. Okay. They, but it's a clever story. It is. Well, sure. The Chronicler had he, he, he some artistic license. Yeah. Carry. Yeah. A little so bit maybe of that exact. didn't happen. The moral of the story is don't, don't mess with people. women. Uh, well, that's that too. part of it. Sure. <laughs> maybe that didn't happen, Carrie. But you know what did happen? Pearl Harbor. What? December seventh, nineteen forty-one. Still going on. Day that will live in infamy. <laughs> The Japanese surprise attack on the U.S. Mm-hmm. It left the or the U.S. presence in the Pacific in shambles. The nation had to strike back, hopefully even at Japan. But how do you do that? How do you get to the mainland? Mm-hmm. We don't have much of much of a we air power. We figured there. it out. Eventually, we did. But some people wanted some quicker answers. One person luckily had a fast, a relatively he thought fast answer. Luckily, not only for the United States but also for this podcast, he was a man <laughs> named. Lytle S. Adams. He was a an acquaintance of First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh. This is just after Pearl Harbor, right? I mean the lady who took her baby in a cage outside she of did. a high She did. So we know her. <laughs> so did it, back then. <laughs> it was a it was a thing, Carrie. So don't, don't disappointed in Eleanor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> he was just a casual acquaintance with Eleanor, but that was enough for this dental surgeon from Pennsylvania. Through intermediaries, he got word to Eleanor that he had a plan to strike back at the Japanese, in fact, at the Japanese mainland. On a trip to the famed Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, those are an amazing warren of caves, mm-hmm. he had, had a spark of genius, Adams had. He knew that most of the buildings in Tokyo were made from wood. They weren't made from concrete concrete and steel. They were wooden buildings in this vast city. So he thought, if they could light a bunch of fires all over the city at almost the same time, the Japanese metropolis could be burned to the ground. Ew, I hate this man. How could you do that, though? How how would we do that? What, What would we use? And somebody said, or at least when he made his trip to the Carlsbad Caverns, he thought to himself, you know what could be could use bats like the ones he had seen in the caverns he thought if we could get the bats to drop little incendiary bombs all over tokyo by the thousands they could burn the city down do you think he's on to something no well thankfully the u.s army did (laughs) adam said his plan quote he said Think of thousands of fires breaking out simultaneously over a circle of 40 miles in diameter for every bomb dropped. Japan could have been devastated yet with small loss of life. I'm I'm assuming he's not including bats there. He's including the humans who would transmit them. So why bats? You might wonder. Why not birds? I'm not 100% sure why not birds. But Adams hated bats. Could not stand them. Felt toward bats like you feel towards snails. So he's fine with sacrificing bats. He was okay with it. it. He called them, quote, the lowest form of animal life. What (laughs) the fuck? Well, that's just wrong. Bats are wonderful. He said that bats were here solely to serve man. And after what happened at Pearl Harbor, Adam's reason that it was kind of, okay, it's their time to to shine. He said bats were made, quote, by God to await this hour to play their part in the scheme of free human existence and to frustrate any attempt of those who dare to desecrate our way of life. He's no. Little, yeah, he's a little bit wacky. This little man's bit. insane. A little bit. 
Yes, he is. Someone go take him out. It's possible a bat had touched him, touched him in his private square once when he was young. I don't know. No. Are there bat youth pastors or bat scout leaders? I, I don't mean, know. But. A lot of people are freaked out by bats. I get but you it, don't think that love from her life and are just here to... No, be, absolutely not. Okay. They were created by God to wait for this moment <laughs> for, to for World be a War II. Do you feel that way about snails, Gary? No. Okay. You ben. should be the one fucking dropping bombs, bitch. Yep. I hate this man so much. <laughs> <laughs> Adams took his idea to the White House, as we know, and the spon- response was, you know what? Not a bad idea. Here's a pile of money. Work on it. Of Adams, Eleanor Roosevelt remarked, Quote, it sounds like a perfectly wild idea, but it is worth looking into. So now there's mm-hmm. two strikes against her. From Yeah. She, uh, a top scientist, by the way, working for the government war effort at the time, said, quote, this proposal seems bizarre and visionary at first glance, but ex- extensive experience with experimental biology convinces the writer, him, that if executed competently, it would have every chance of success. My God. And Eleanor Roosevelt said, you know what? The man is not a nut. Hmm. She said, the man is not a nut. So she, I don't know if that's a ringing endorsement of him. but Yeah. That's, uh, He's not insane. So they took this seriously, and yes, they did. They did indeed <laughs> give them a pile of money and said, uh-huh. go to it. My God. As we saw with that earlier with Jeff, Jeffrey Pike and in England, you know, is, this is war. This is a world war. You try anything. Yeah. So he got approval, uh, he got approval for his scheme. The project was set up within the Army Air Force, which was the precursor of the actual United States Air Force. It was a, a originally the Air Force was a wing of the army. Right. Adams brought on a bunch of people to help. A wing. <laughs> oh, I didn't even actually mean that, but yeah. It was <laughs> not just experts like a mammologist named Jack Van Bloker and oh, wow. other scientists, but he also brought in an actor who I think was a former gangster. He brought on a hotel manager. I'm not sure what why or what role they were playing. What was just, that first one? Know, an actor. No, a mammologist. Oh yeah, he brought a, a bad expert. Oh, that's what or they're called? A mammologist who studies mammals. Not oh, just bats. for mammals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was I like, mean, what the fuck is that? Yeah. But turning bats into a bomb squad was harder than it sounds. Or, or maybe it's exactly it, as hard as it sounds. It sounds pretty hard, but okay. It doesn't sound easy. It does sound hard. Okay. Well, I mean, there are a lot of moving parts they had to figure out. Literally. What kind of incendiary would they use? How do you, would you attach this to the bats? Would it be effective? How much explosive did you need to start a fire? How do you teach the bats to drop it That's when a great idea. the time comes? Very much. How would you ignite and release the little uh-huh. bombs? Yeah. How would you get them to Tokyo in a time before Expedia? Yeah. I don't that's that's difficult. How do you even get enough bats to do the job? Well, and bats are plenty. Yeah, that's probably not hard. What kind of bat would you use? A little one. Well, they answered the first question with Mexican freetail bats. They settled on Mexican freetail bats because partly because there were lots of them yeah. on national park territory. So the project could start harvesting those bats pretty quickly. And they did. They started gathering bats I, by the thousands, at least, maybe even by the millions. It's hard to say. But they, they started collecting just tons of every bat they can get their hands on in national park caves. Yeah. Leave those bats alone. Yeah, well, now it's a war, man. The, I don't care. The original incendiary they're going to use was. White phosphorus. Yikes. Horrific. Nasty element. It burns at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It keeps burning until it consumes all of the oxygen around it. And it can be absorbed into the human body and causing multiple organ failure. I've seen the, it's, it's horrific. The worst. If it gets on you, you're screwed. You're going to die or be maimed for life. 
So they're going to use Why white phosphorus originally. But because of war, humans. Well, it's, are it's an terrible. element. It's an yeah. element, but so well, it exists. But it was, it was being used. It's been it's been used for war for a long time. As a yes, of fact. really. It was used in Vietnam. But oh, uh, is it a component of napalm? No. Well, oddly, oddly you say that though. It's not. But a chemist named Louis Fieser joined the team, and he brought along a little invention of his own called. Napalm. Napalm. Yep. He invented napalm and, so and said, you know what? Head. I got this other thing we could use. It'll, it'll, it's better causing fires. And they said, done. So these napalm is going to be <sighs> the incendiary. <laughs> these are the worst people. <laughs> yeah. But just how much napalm could each bat carry? They then asked themselves. So they tested that on live bats, as you might imagine. So, <gasps> uh, I mean, you can't make an omelet without killing bats, Carrie. That's just a mm. well-known saying. <sighs> The I'd si- rather. The scientists found out that each bat, and each bat, by the way, weighed about half an ounce. They're 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 very Teeny, they're small, but they they're, but they also do they have hollow do they have hollow bones like birds or they just have very very tiny little bones? But I don't they, think so. Even for how big they, they look, they they're shockingly lightweight. So bats are very well, light. These must be small these are pretty bats. small bats. Yeah. yeah, they have to fly. I mean, little insect eating bats, right? Yeah, they um, weighed about half an ounce, but they could handle a payload. At least that much, maybe even a little more. Wow. So they could carry their weight and then some. Yeah. What would you put the napalm in, though, for them to carry? Yeah. That was easy. Tiny cellulose containers. And they call these things H2 units. But how would you attach these little bombs to the to the bats? Little bomb bags. Little, basically little bomb bags full of napalm. How are you going to attach those to the bats? They said, that's easy, too. We'll just glue them to the bat's chest. No. So they did. Uh, Bitch, you some twine. What the <laughs> no. fuck? They're like, we got to make this the most inhumane, cruel thing possible. <laughs> glue it. Yes, we could do it a better Good way, but Lord. we're not going to. I hate so the, that meant the bats were not going to drop these bombs so much as be the bombs, right. effectively. Yeah. This man really just wanted these bats to die. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. We want, to, we want a, a time with string. No, no, no. You will glue them to the, to the chest. When the they napalm lit... And and the rain, you know, came down. It rained fire down on Tokyo. It would be accompanied by a lot of dead bats. In fact, sometimes in the early testing, the bats would just plummet straight to the ground like like rocks. Oh my god! Because it was I don't know if it was just the weight was too much or uh, is, napalm is a, is a nasty substance. So yeah, they wouldn't all make it, but yeah. enough did. So they were able to fly with these things, and 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 that worked. How now are you going to get a bunch of bats to drop onto Tokyo though? Yeah, and they said, well. We'll just put them in bombs of a sort. They developed this little device, for lack of a better term, about a meter and a half long. It's about five feet. It's a metal tube, basically. It's about 30 inches in diameter. That's 76 centimeters, obviously. And each of these one and a half meter long, these five-foot tubes, had 26 circular trays in them to form kind of like a, like a honeycomb bat haven inside these metal tubes mm-hmm. tubes, and they could accommodate 1,040 bats. So each five-foot metal tube had over 1,000 bats in it with a little bit of napalm that they can then drop these tubes over Tokyo. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so now they're just putting fucking bats in a tube yes. with napalm in it and dro- yes. the bats are no longer necessary. Why do you just need the bats? drop the napalm. No, because they want, they want the bats to fly and then roost all over the city in different places before the uh, napalm got lit somehow. That was the idea anyway. Kind of not makes, unlike this, the pigeons and sparrows of Olga yeah, and Kiba yeah. Roos. That makes no sense. It did to them. And they were 
good, smart people. This is what so. I mean. Just because you're a scientist doesn't mean you're smart or good at science. I, I don't know that a lot of these people were scientists. He wasn't a scientist. Well, the napalm sure. guy probably was. Adam, yeah, the, he, he was a chemist. That's a science. That's a scientist, but he's, he's, not a, he's not a, you know. That's what I mean. Anything else part of science. Yeah. That do this. yeah. That's what I mean. It, just because you're a scientist and you call yourself science and you do yeah. science doesn't mean you're good at it. For sure. The bats. Good Lord. But the bat experts there, they warn, though, you know what? Bats could get nervous. So we don't want them to die, to stress out and die before they were able to, to yes. be thrown out over Tokyo. With napalm. So they decided to put the bats into hibernation mode. They have a hibernation mode. And on the way over, they would put them in hibernation mode and just release them. They'd, they'd come out of hibernation mode, hopefully over the air. And so they packed them in ice cube trays and they cooled the trays for the transport, for the journey. Wow. That would just kill the bats. Right, apparently it set them in hibernation mode. I don't think it's a very quick change. I don't know. I believe I know. it takes days, maybe not <laughs> weeks. But now the fun part, uh, not for the bats. For everyone else, yeah. the a plane for loaded him. with tubes could fly over the target at twelve hundred meters, about four thousand feet, and then unload its cargo of steel tube, steel tube bat bombs. I guess each bat bomb would float down via parachute, <laughs> and the tube sides would disengage; they'd fall away, and so the bats would fly out. Right. And again, the idea was they'd roost, and they'd be all over the city, or at least a, 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 over a wide area before the incendiary lit flame. That was the idea. These geniuses, though, were not stupid. They mm -hmm. knew that they needed to test their method before they tried it out over Tokyo. So they did that. They did it uh, at the Carlsbad Army Airfield in New Mexico. They released the bats over the airbase, over like they designed like a target center, and they released mm -hmm. these bats over the target center on the airbase, all the, their napalm and everything, right? Good They're napalmed up. The bats, however, decided that a nearby fuel tank was the yeah. perfect place to roost. Oh, no. So on May 15th, 1943, they exploded. <laughs> the tank blew up. The entire test range was destroyed and charred. So that didn't go well. Yeah. Nope. Anybody should have been able to predict that. <laughs> My God. The, the Army Air Force had had enough. They were done. They said, we don't want this program anymore. They told the Navy, if you want it, you take it. This is in August of 1943. So the Navy took, took it over. And they renamed it Project X-Ray because they were children. And by the end of the year, though, in 1943, they, too, were not having good luck. So they said, you know what, Marine Corps, now you can have this project. <laughs> My so God. now the Marine Corps. Okay. The Marine Corps took it over, and they moved the testing to one of their bases in El Centro, California, which is down near the Mexican border. Yeah. But they again, all they also wanted to test it, and they wanted to test it more realistically. So they built a mock Japanese village in Utah at the Dugway Proving Grounds, and we're going to test it there out in Utah. And it it kind of worked. The chief tester said, "Quote: A reasonable number of destructive fires can be started in spite of the extremely small size of the units." by which he means bats. Bats. Mm -hmm. The main advantage of the units would seem to be their placement within the enemy structures without the knowledge of the householder or fire watchers, thus allowing the fire to establish itself before being discovered. So it, it at least in this test, it yeah. apparently did work. And that was the official decision for this. How exactly did it, did they control the, I guess, detonation of the name? Yeah. That I'm not, nothing I read was did very, they? was clear on that. Does it just I, like friction I, I, eventually I makes it ignite? Eventually it ignites. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. There weren't, there weren't, you know, little. It yeah. is super flammable. Yeah. Yeah. That, I guess that's the idea. They hope it would start a lot. I mean, not everyone was going to start a, 
a fire yeah, apparently. But like, if yeah. enough do, yeah, in this Ugh. vast city of wooden structures, what a piece of shit. So even the National Defense Research Committee determined that bat bombs were worth it. They figured that per pound, per, on a weight basis, the bats had greater bang for the buck than normal incendiary bombs. Well, and it's by a lot, a, by the way. I feel like that's skewed by you said the bats being like 0. 0.6 ounces each. Yeah, but they that that's you you thought about that when you're talking about payloads and that's planes. True. So yeah, they, on a on a per gram basis, they had more bang than actual bombs, incendiary bombs. But and so they wanted to test it further but unfortunately like all great ideas small minds and circumstances got in the way hmm. navy fleet admiral ernest king he was told in mid 1944 that the bat bombs were looking good but they need another full year to Itch. completely develop and be ready to yeah. go out in the field he said nope the war is yeah. probably going to be over by then yeah and he was right of course and it would be you know i don't know if he knew about the atom bomb probably coming up not. Yeah. But he thought that was too long, so he killed the project back in mid-1944. By that time, the Bat Bomb program had soaked up about $2 million. Oh, my God. It's about $32 million in today's money. Bitch, that could have gone to penicillin. That's crazy. <laughs> that is the story of Bat Bombs, oh, and that shit. ends our fun with Animals. Wow, that's crazy! I that was the worst one. That was the worst one. I saved the you worst for last. Said I you did weren't going to make us sad, I, which is why I saved that for last. You lied. Not a lot of not. I don't think that many bats died in this. I was going to ask if you knew how many bats. Died. I have Enough. no idea. I'm sure quite a few. Yeah. I mean, a, a, a fair number blew up a fuel tank, uh, but uh, not as many as would have died had they used it. I mean, yeah. who knows if they would have stopped at Tokyo? They might have been, you know. Absolutely not. We had another bat bomb run today in the in the <laughs> Pacific Theater. Who knows? Well, <laughs> what actually did happen? It's probably was, worse. Was much yeah, worse. I'm not happy about that. No, Carrie. No, it turns out it no one. Few people are happy about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's that still one of if not the most shameful. That, uh, oh yes, plenty of people. I we had to do it. Let's focus on the good aspects. The dolphins detecting mines. That's a pretty good one. I like dolphins. Arguably, big fan of dolphins. Big, big, big fan. I'm yeah. a big fan of them not being they used as tools of fish. war for an imperialist military, though. <laughs> wow, that's okay. a lot better. You just, you just ruin everything. No, pardon. Can I agree. How about the snail telegraph, Gary? You like that? Would you ever uh, use one yourself? No. No. Would you have one clipped to your waist chain? No. No. no? Okay. A waist chain, like we all got these days. <laughs> I got my my hit clips uh, and my snail telegram. Do, 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 do. Okay, well, that's it for Fun with Animals. I hope you enjoyed Fun. that. We're trying to bring you more upbeat ones. I That yeah. maybe not have been one, but... No, it know, wasn't. Possibly. Well, no, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that oh. bad. There were snails in copper sulfate. There were... Let's talk about World War II. Bats <laughs> that were exploded. 5,000 people dying. Sure, I give you that, but still. <laughs> These were pretty bad. Okay, I suppose. Well, anyway, thanks, thanks for, listening. for listening. Until next time. Goodbye.